Well, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. So good to be with you this morning, whether in person or online. I'm just honored to get to share God's Word with you today. We are continuing our message series. Uh, we're in week two of our series on Peter, the unlikely disciple. Remember, this is also a church-wide study. Uh, it's not just a message series. It's also a study that we're doing in our life groups, and we invite you to join that as well. So today we're going to look at a day in, in Jesus' life that was an incredible day. It was a very big and full day. If you've ever had a really busy day, well, just try stacking it up to what happened to Jesus this day. First thing, he gets some devastating news. He, he um, is told that his cousin John, who we know as John the Baptizer, uh, John had been beheaded in prison by Herod. It was a horrible thing. I mean, imagine hearing that your cousin had been murdered, and it was just for some stupid party favor that Herod was doing, just a, an atrocity. This is the one who had baptized Jesus. It was his own cousin, the one who had prepared the way for him. Jesus, remember, is both son of God, or he's son of God, and so he's both fully God and fully human. So that means when Jesus goes through difficult times, he feels it just like you and I do. So Jesus is hurting. He's, he's probably angry. He's certainly sad. And Jesus wants to get some time to himself. So he and the disciples, they live there in probably Capernaum there around the Sea of Galilee. And he instructs them that they're going to get in the boat. They're going to cross the sea to go to a more secluded place where they can have some quiet time. Well, plan doesn't work out so well. Even Jesus' plans sometimes get foiled because the crowd heard about it, and so they went to where Jesus was going to. So when the boat lands, there's a big crowd already beginning to form. Now, Jesus could have just said, hey, what's a guy got to do to get a day off around here, right? I just go home, but he doesn't. The Bible tells us that he had compassion on the crowds, and so he healed their sick. And thousands are there. There's going to be 5,000 men plus women and children. It's a huge gathering. So Jesus is healing people all throughout the day. We get to getting close to evening time, and the disciples say, look, Jesus, we got a problem. You've got thousands of people here. Uh, we're out in this remote area. We're not anywhere near a McDonald's or anything like that. So how are we going to feed them? We need to send them home, right? Like, it's been a good day, but send the crowds home. And Jesus says, no, why don't you feed them? <laughs> That's hilarious, Jesus. Yeah, 5,000 people, no food. Yeah, we'll just feed them. No problem. We'll get right on that. Yeah. What food do you have? They find one boy. He brought a lunch, loaves and fish there, brought his dinner. And Jesus takes them. You know the story. He multiplies them, and he feeds the 5,000-plus people there that day. It was an incredible miracle. The disciples are just amazed at what uh, at God's power working through Jesus Christ here. So the, they send them home. In fact, the book of Matthew, let's pull this up here. The book of Matthew tells it this way. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. So he sends the disciples out, and it's before dark at this point. 
Jesus finally gets some time to himself. I mean, think about that. Even the Son of God needs time in prayer. So certainly you and I do as well. He finally gets this alone time. He sends the disciples out, but while they're out, it eventually gets dark. It's like this trip is taking longer than expected, and we'll see why here in a minute. In fact, I want to illustrate this today um, using some video clips um, from a newer show called The Chosen. It's a, a new, uh, new um, show that's been made to depict the life of Jesus. And if you haven't seen it, you really should tune in. It's worth watching. It's um, very powerful. And so they're going to cross the sea here, and a big storm is going to come up. Now, it's important to know a couple things about the Sea of Galilee. It is a sea with a lot of, with some big hills around, and if you get just the right wind, it can become incredibly nasty in a very short period of time. In fact, no joke, in 1992, they recorded 10-foot waves on the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is not the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they don't usually surf on it. Uh, you see the little surfer guy. The purpose of this picture is to show us Midwesterners what a 10-foot wave looks like, like how big and powerful that is. Now, I don't know if they were fully 10 feet that night, but they could have been. That's been seen on the sea before. Uh, and they were out on a boat, but they were not out on a large boat, right? They weren't out on like some billionaire's yacht or something like that, right? It's, it's amazing what 400 million will buy you nowadays, isn't it? That's not what they were riding on. No, in fact, we know quite a bit about the boat because archaeologists have dug up here. We have a first century boat. So this would have come from the same time that Jesus, within a within hundred years or less of Jesus' life there. Um, of course, it were, would have been taller. Um, archaeologists dug this up. It was intact just as that. It was an amazing find. And so they learned uh, this particular boat was about 8 foot wide, about 27 foot long. It had uh, spots for four oars, two on each side, and a mast in the middle for a sail. This is the type of boat Jesus would have been in. So imagine yourself in a, a wooden boat of this size, you and 11 of your best buddies, and you're in the dark, and a big, nasty storm comes up. That's scary stuff. Verse 24, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. Uh, literally, the original text says they were a mile or two off land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, okay, time out, they left, and it was still light, right? They're a couple of miles out tops, and it's now 3 a.m., that tells you they've been fighting this storm for a long time. It's dark. Rain is pounding them. They're rowing and they're not getting anywhere. They're just so exhausted. Let's check out what this may have looked like in this video. Simon, we're not getting anywhere. The winds are too strong. We should turn back. We can get there. Just keep rowing. Simon, it's the fourth watch of the night and we've been stuck in the same place for hours. Oh, Steve! Help, James! Are you all right? James, are you okay? Help him up. Help him. We can't take much more water. We'll bother. Better off wet and cold on land and drowned and dead out here. 
Now, this is Peter. You see, he's got the teeth grit. He is encouraging him to keep going. We've got to keep rowing. I know it's scary. I know you're tired, but we've got to fight this thing. We're, I'm not going to die out here in this sea with you guys. We've got to keep on going. This is what we expect of leaders. This is a good thing to do. He's courageous. He inspires them. He keeps on working. But the fact is, this is a scary time. Some of you may have had even near-death experiences in your life. Maybe it was on the water, or maybe a car accident, or something else like that. You know what it's like to look at death in the face. It's a scary thing. And, and beyond that, it actually was worse for them because there was a belief in those days that evil spirits lived beneath the surface of the waters. They lived in the deep. And so when storms would come up, sometimes people would see that as like evil spirits trying to attack them, right? So they see this not just as a physical thing, but a spiritual thing too, most likely. For ancients had a very close tie between the physical and the spiritual worlds. That's how they, how they viewed the world. And so now we're out here. Our leader, Jesus, well, he's not with us. He's our spiritual leader. And, you know, come to think about that, what, what gives here? I mean, he just fed 5,000 people today. Don't you think he could have checked the weather before sending us out? I mean, seriously, why are we out here in the midst of this storm? We, we just did what he said. He said, get in the boat. We get in the boat. We may never see Jesus again. We could all drown out here. We're being attacked by evil. Our spiritual leader is nowhere to be found. This is a disaster. Have you been there before? I mean, a, a storm of life. Not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a physical storm, although it could be. Maybe it happened when you lost a loved one, and it felt like you just lost your bearings. Maybe it was when your spouse passed away. Maybe it was when you received that horrible diagnosis. Or maybe it was a miscarriage divorce papers, a close friend stabbing you in the back. Maybe it was a, a falling out at work or bouts of depression. We know what storms are like. And sometimes God feels distant. It just, we just have this distant feeling from God. Where are you, God? We're, I'm desperate here, okay? I'm, I'm in the storm of my life, and I'm praying, and I don't seem to be hearing anything. I just want you here. I want your power. What's going on? We're scared. But sometimes, sometimes things aren't exactly as they seem. The disciples were not as alone as they actually felt. Matthew 14, 25 says this, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Now, I know that you've probably heard this before. Some of you, maybe it's the first time, but, but maybe you've heard it before, and you're like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen, right? I, just think about the fact they didn't know that was going to happen. The, they were not saying, well, keep on rowing. Pretty soon, Jesus will probably walk right on out here. We'll see him. This was not what they were doing. And so this was not their response. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Scary time. It's a scary time. Now, we may... 
we may think that they're silly right now. How could you? Come on, guys. He fed 5,000. It's got to be Jesus, right? I mean, who is it? Oh, we all know. Jesus. It's Sunday. The answer is always Jesus, right? You know, obviously, they didn't have that advantage. They would have thought perhaps this is one of those evil spirits that were attacking them. Their first words were not, oh, thank God, we're saved. No, they thought it was a ghost. Check this out. That's terrifying if you're one of the disciples. And they are cold, and they are wet, they are exhausted, but Matthew focuses on one thing. They are terrified. Absolutely terrified. They were already afraid for their lives, but the idea of someone walking on water is even more horrifying. But Jesus did what Jesus always does. He speaks right into their fear. He addresses it. Look at what he says. Don't be afraid. It's me. Jesus? Ah. How is this the second most incredible thing I've seen today? <laughs> I love that line. How is this the second most incredible thing I've seen today? You know it's a good day when somebody walking on water, you're like, yeah, it's impressive. That's probably the number two miracle of the day, I think. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Now that last sentence I am here. Seems simple. It actually doesn't translate great, great, because in the original language, it literally says, don't be afraid, I, I am here. It's emphatic. And, the, and he, it's something that they use, that they do in Greek to really emphasize this I, that it is me. But scholars, some think that it's actually even more than that. Remember when Moses was called? And he was at the burning bush, right? And God is telling him, hey, you're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, yeah, right. Pharaoh's not going to believe me. He's not, if me and what army, right? Like, I can't just get Pharaoh to let all these slaves go. There's no way he's doing that. Who am I even going to say sent me? And God says, my name is I am. You tell me, you tell him that I am sent you. And Jesus said, I, I am, is here. The God of creation, the God who parted the Red Sea, is here right now. You thought you were 
fighting evil here. Well, let me tell you, I'm walking on top of evil. <laughs> That's my power as God. You think there's evil spirits? I'll walk right over the top of them, okay? That's how powerful our God is. This is a, it's a display of power that's bigger than even just the miracle of walking on water. It's a display of power to show that God is greater than Satan, that God is more powerful. Don't fear. Well, the disciples are still afraid, but also amazed at this point. And Peter, he's about to do something that is either incredible or idiotic. You be the judge. Verse 28, Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. This is like the ghost test, right? <laughs> If it's just a ghost pretending to be Jesus, I probably can't walk on water. <laughs> now, so if it is a ghost, Peter's in deep trouble now, right? Because he just falls into the water. But this is how he's testing it. Verse 29, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. Check this out. If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Simon, no! Are you out of your mind? Simon, no! Simon! Don't be foolish, Simon! Simon! Wait! Simon! No! Simon! What are you doing? Simon! Simon, where are you going? What are you doing? Simon! Simon! What are you doing? Simon! Why do you think I allow trials? I don't know! They prove the genuineness of your faith. They strengthen you. This is strengthening you. Keep your eyes on me. been there? I think we've all been there. It's the truth. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind and the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he cried. It's not necessarily that we don't believe in Jesus. But man, those waves get big. Those, those problems, those difficulties, they seem so overwhelming. And, and we want to keep our eyes on Jesus. We know we're supposed to, but did you see how big that is? Did you see how nasty that wave is? It's so scary and it's so hard. It's hard to keep our eyes on Jesus in the midst of the storm. The thing is that 
the, the storm, the waves, they get so close to us that it's like it's hard for us to see Jesus because that thing gets right about here. Maybe it's your fear. Maybe it's unforgiveness of someone who harmed you. Maybe it's a painful story, so painful you just can't even share it. Whatever it is, we lose faith. We turn our eyes away and we sink. And we find ourselves underwater. We wanted to trust Jesus, but we got so distracted by the waves that now we're underwater and we don't know if there's any hope. And maybe you're here today and you, if you're honest, you're underwater today. It took everything you had to get here. Or maybe the only reason you're here is because somebody told you you had to be. Or maybe you, you tuned in online and it was even kind of accidental and you weren't even planning to be here. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you move in powerful ways? I pray for those who are underwater. I pray for those who don't feel that they can keep on going. I pray for those who don't feel that they have any more fight left in them. We didn't mean to take our eyes off you, Jesus. We didn't mean to get distracted. It's just, it's really scary. It's really difficult. And we need you. We need you by the power of the Holy Spirit just to remind us that you are real. Would you give us some assurance that you are real? Would you reveal yourself to us, God? Would you help us to see? Would you help us to know your presence? We feel like we're underwater and there is no hope. Jesus, we need you to move. We need you to work. We need you to change us. We need you to act. Won't you save us, Lord? We feel like we're drowning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, Peter's story is not done and neither is yours, my friend. God has not left you. He has not given up on you and he will not do that. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Our God He's reaching out to you, in fact. He's reaching out to you right where you're at. Check this out. things, 
Just keep your eyes on me. I promise. That is our Savior. And he's still in the reaching business, my friend. He's still reaching out this day. He's reaching out to you in whatever place you're at. Whatever place of pain, fear, whatever it may be, he is reaching for you. He won't give up on you. So, there's a few things we see in this story because, because I believe that he's reaching for you today. That, that you may have been unfaithful, but he's always faithful. You may have been full of doubt, but, but friend, he's reaching. He delivers. He pulls you out. You may be hurting. He's holding you right there where you're at. He's not giving up on you. He's not quitting. In fact, one of the things we can learn today is that we should cast our cares. We should cast our cares on Jesus. That's King James language, and it means we should give ourselves to Him, give our problems to Him, give our pains, our fears, our worries, our unforgiveness, our stories, whatever it may be, whatever that thing is, give it to Jesus. He's big enough. He's strong enough to handle it. Tell Him what's on your heart. Tell Him what's in your mind. Tell Him about the pain. He cares how do we know this? Peter, in fact. Decades later, Peter would write a couple letters to churches, and in one of them he wrote these exact words. In 1 Peter, it says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor, says the guy who was once lifted out of the water by Jesus. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I don't know for sure, but I have to think when Peter penned those words, he was remembering this day, he was remembering this moment, how Jesus had lifted him up, how he could give his cares, his fears, his worries to God, and he was assured that God cares for him. Friend, the same is true for you. The same is true for me today. God cares so deeply about you. A second thing we can learn from Peter this day is to ask before you act. Ask before you act. Peter often doesn't do this in life. We'll look at other stories later where Peter, in great bravado, kind of does some foolish things. But this day, Peter, he nails it. He had asked Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come. And Jesus did. See, it's easy to read a story like this and to assume that God's will is always big and risky. Because here, he calls Peter to something big and risky, to step out of the boat, right? And sometimes God's will is big and risky. We'll talk about that in a moment. But sometimes when we see big and risky things, it's just 
our own stuff. <laughs> it's just our own desire to be adventurous and all this kind of stuff. And maybe it's not necessarily God's will. This story does not teach us that God always says, go for it on fourth down. It doesn't tell us that God always says to hold the stock when it starts to dip, right? It doesn't, God doesn't always call us to high-risk behavior. That line between faith and foolishness can be pretty thin sometimes. John Ortberg wrote a book on this story, and he, t- and he tells a story in that book about a man who, who dies, and he gets to the pearly gates St. Peter's there. Of course he is. He's always there in our versions of these stories, right? Apparently it's how he spends his time nowadays. St. Peter's there, and he welcomes the guy, and he says, Hey, let me ask you, did you ever do anything big for the Lord? The guy thinks for a minute. He says, Well, yeah, there was this one time where I came upon this, this biker gang, these big, tough dudes, and they were there, and they were harassing this poor girl, right? And, and I just, I knew I needed to do something. So I said, hey, hey, you, you leave her alone. <laughs> they looked at me and laughed and went right back to it, right? Totally ignored me, right? But I didn't give up, Peter. I walked up to the biggest, toughest one. And you know what I did? I kicked his motorcycle over. <laughs> that got his attention, When he turned at me, I hit him with a left hook right in the jaw. He was so shocked, I grabbed him by the nose ring. I ripped that nose ring out. I threw it on the ground. And I said, if you guys want to mess with her, you got to come through me first. Peter said, wow, that's amazing. I mean, I walked on water, but that's a pretty impressive story. How long ago did you do this? The guy said, about three minutes. That line between faith and foolishness can be pretty thin sometimes. Friends, sometimes God will call you to take a risk, but ask first. Pray, read the Bible, talk to your life group or your band, seek good Christian counsel before you you dive off the deep end, right? But don't take that truth, because that is true, but don't take that truth to make you totally risk-adverse. Sometimes... As followers of Jesus, we can get very risk-adverse. And the fact is, this story does teach that there's going to be times you've got to take a risk for Jesus. He'll call you to do it. You'll ask, and he'll say yes. The third thing is that if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. You can't just stay there. If Peter would have just stayed in the boat that day, he would have missed this opportunity to see how faithful God is. God may call you to get out of the boat in one way or another. He may call you to take a risk for Him. And we have this, the thing is, when we're followers of Jesus, often when we first give our lives to Him, we're all in for this kind of behavior. Tell me your will, Jesus, I'll do it, I'm in. You save me, you change me, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. You call, I'm there. But then life goes on. And we kind of learn the stories, and we kind of get stagnant, and we've kind of, we, we avoid a lot of the big sins now. There's still some here, but we're not in as much of that mess as we were, and we get to the place where we, we, we trade in what was once a courageous faith for now a, like, long-term fire insurance plan. We get stagnant, and we forget the fact 
that following Jesus is a real relationship. It's a relationship where he speaks and he calls and he invites us to do things. And sometimes they take courage. Maybe Jesus would invite you to be more generous than you've ever been before. Maybe Jesus would put a a hurting person in front of you for you to love on and to care for. Maybe Jesus would call you out of your comfort zone to serve with people who are different than you. Maybe Jesus would call you to some act of kindness. Maybe, I, I don't know, maybe you know what it is because he's telling you right now. He's been telling you and you've been ignoring it. Saying, no, God would never have me take a risk. Well, he does sometimes. Ask him. Pray about it. Talk to people of faith and get good godly counsel. But if he tells you to get out of that boat, get out of the boat. So what's your boat? What's the thing that's holding you back? Is it a sin that you won't give up? Is it fear? Is it apathy? Stagnation? Is it excuses? Is it that you can't do what you once did and so now you've decided you can't do anything? Well, that's not true. Give it to Jesus. Give that boat to Jesus and take a risk and take a walk with him. Thank you, Jesus, that you call us. You call us to all sorts of things and sometimes they're big and scary, Lord. Help us to have the courage to say yes, to follow you. Help us to have the wisdom to discern whether it's your call or not. Put the right people in our lives to help us to discern that. But if the answer is yes, help us to have the courage to step, faith, to step forward in faith and follow you. Jesus, we don't want to be sitting in the boat like the other 11. We want to be like Peter, a man of courage and faith. I pray that you would honor our courage and our faith when you call us to follow you, Lord. We love you so much, God. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.